Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome to Thread, Season 3, Episode 18. Thread is God's Word, tying together all the pieces of your life as a person in ministry, whether it's informally or as a vocation. If you want to make a permanent mark on the lives of other people, then Thread is for you. In Season 3, we're moving through 2 Corinthians, the book about the ministry. And today's thread covers chapter 8, verses 1 through 7, and the secret key to everything. Listen, you need this lesson. It is so rich, and it's uh, liberating to me, and I think it's going to be liberating to you. So just uh, focus in, because God has something He wants to say to you, and it can change your life if you take this to heart. This is the first of three lessons uh, that Paul is going to bring us that are connected to the subject of material things and how to handle these things, how to relate to them personally and in a ministry setting. Now, if you announce a three-part sermon series on the subject of giving, I'm pretty sure you're going to immediately feel resistance in the room, and uh, rightly so. Because usually when we say that people should become better givers, we mean better givers to our church, if you're the pastor. And since there's so much self-interest in a pastor teaching the people to give more, then there's reasonable resistance from people in the crowd. People flinch because of manipulation. And so we need to remove every trace of self-interest before we can even teach this lesson. It's really an amazing lesson. Um, I... I read a good book. This has been a long time ago. Jack Hayford, who I just respect so much, wrote an excellent little book called Giving is the Key to Everything. And he wrote the book years ago, but his points are excellent. And he makes a very strong case that the central key to having a wonderful life is adopting the posture of a giver in many different aspects. And I'm just going to roll real quick through his five points. I won't say anything about them, but I just think they're important. Uh, first, he says, sometimes you need to give, give up, and quit banging your head on the wall. You're fighting the wrong battle, so quit stressing and quit clinging to the thing that's in your hand and just just release it, give up, and move on. Uh, secondly, he said, sometimes you need to forgive, which is a form of giving because you someone owes you a debt, and you need to release the hold that the past is having on you so you can move on. Third, sometimes you need to give something over to the Lord or to give it over to someone else and let them handle it. It's important. It's a key thing, but maybe you don't need to be the one dealing with it. Sometimes he says you need to give too. You might need to give your things, give your money to someone else. And there's a lot of teaching in the Bible about giving too. But sometimes also, number five, you need to be the one to give in and serve. Uh, give by serving uh, and make yourself, you know, the gift. Give the gift of your time. Give the gift of, you know, you serving, making yourself, as we said in a previous thread, um, make yourself useful. That's what the word kindness means, is making yourself useful to someone else. Uh, the problem with giving is that we enter life thinking and caring about our own personal survival only. And this is natural programming. It's normal uh, survival level programming. And it's in our mind from birth. You see it in children right away. They want what they want. They don't care about anybody but themselves. Um, but then 
grace enters our life. And if we fully embrace the presence of God and the grace that He lavishes on us, this grace will bring us a gift. It's an amazing, ridiculous gift. It's a gift that God plants in the heart of every single one of His true children. So you already have this gift. It's just whether you've opened it or not. And whether in ministry, you can help other people also open this gift. It's a gift of liberality. It's a gift of openness. It's the gift of being a source of blessing, just like God is. And that is the opposite of the ways of the world. And it will make you stand out as different. Now, this gift, perhaps above all the other gifts allows you to ride above the worries and the cares of this world. Because while the world is fretting about money and position and supply, and they approach all these things from a mindset of shortage and of lack, you know, that there's not enough of everything. So they cling and they fight and they scrap and they worry about it. But we've been given the gift that we can receive this gift, we can unwrap this gift, and we can put this gift to work. And if we do, this gift will liberate our lives. And this gift will make us, it'll make you a big person. The gospel is so amazing. When you really understand all of its facets. So today we're going to unwrap 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Paul wants to lift up a case study, a case study of someone who actually unwrapped this big person gift, this giving gift, and put it to use. And he mentions, in verses 1 through 3, the Macedonians. Now, Macedonia, let me give you a little background. They were formerly very rich because Macedonia was the site of lucrative gold and silver mines. But then the Roman invaders came and they seized these mines. And now the people had very little else. It would be sort of like going into Switzerland and going into Luxembourg and taking all their banks away from them. You know, they don't have much else going for them. I doubt they even grow much food there. And so Macedonia was like that. It was a, a wealth-producing place that had its wealth stripped away and now serious poverty descended upon this, this nation. And upon the people. And Paul describes it in verse 2. And he uses three different uh, words to describe it. First of all, he said, it's a great trial. You know, a trial is not just a, a little hiccup in the road. It's, a, it's like a chapter in your life. It, this thing is going to go on for a while. It just grinds on and on and on. You know, it's like walking across a desert or going through a long period of, uh, of sickness or, or something else, some crushing thing happens and you just got to dig your way out of the earthquake's mess. So he said, it's a great trial. Secondly, he said, these people are going through, the Greek word is flipsis. It means um, you are being squeezed from every side. You know, I, I've had uh, seasons in my life, especially in the early part of our marriage, of financial mm, cash flow shortage. And, you know, just being squeezed for money, for cash, just paying 
the bill every week. It was such a burden, and uh, and the pressure didn't let go. And Paul says that's what they're going through. They're in trial, and it's this trial is financial, and it's it's squeezing them. It's putting so much pressure on them, and it has brought them. The third thing he says to a state of um, tokos. It's like a, it's almost the sound of spitting. It's the deepest form of poverty. It means they're they're in danger of literal starvation. It's the Greek word for the most desperate form of poverty. And that's how they were. You know, now, city dwellers were extremely poor in much of the Roman-occupied world because when the Romans took over your country, it wasn't necessarily happy days for everybody. They laid down super high taxes. You had high rent, and there were high food costs. And so, and then on top of that, they took away all the money that Macedonia had. So even their way to make a living and pay these bills has been taken from them. And so just, you know, a horrible situation. And that was the reality of daily life for the believers in Macedonia. And they lived that way as persons, but then they were born again. And the Holy Spirit transformed their hearts and their minds and planted the seeds of God's own character and God's own way of thinking were planted inside these poor Macedonian, you know, tokos poor Macedonian people. And it was part of this supernatural grace gift that God opens in them. And this is what that gift did. It, it causes them in their mind when they yielded to it, it caused them to become a source of, for other people. They began to see themselves not in need, but as a source. Uh, they began to live, although nothing changed about their money, but they began to live from the posture of abundance. And they began to live a lifestyle uh, that was without the fear of lack. So, you know, here's the equation they went through. They had... Uh, a great trial, squeezing financial pressure, deep poverty, paid high taxes, high rent, high food cost. Add all that together and what you get is because of this gift, they got a mindset that they were wealthy. And they got a mindset that led them to a lifestyle of liberality. It's really important to understand the mindset of wealth, you know. To, to get people to say, I am rich, I am wealthy. It's, it's difficult to even get people to, to say it or think it because the demon behind money is really not greed. Uh, as Richard Foster points out, the demon behind money is fear. And fear just you know keeps that pressure on. And I, I, I tell you, the scene I think about in the Bible is, okay, Jacob has ripped off Esau and he's run away. And it was, you know, Jacob is supposed to get now, you know, double everything. He's going to get almost all the money and all the family stuff. And he comes back and uh, he hasn't seen Esau for many years. And he's so scared of him that Esau is going to kill him for what he did. And he sends these camels loaded with treasures. There's, there's gold, there's food, there's livestock. I mean, it's just camel after camel. And then, uh, you know, Jacob shows up after he sends his wife and his children and, you know, he's trying to soften him up, but he starts with this massive gift. And when Esau sees him, he goes, my brother. And he says, what, what do you mean with all these gifts? 
And Jacob, the Bible says, put his face in the ground, called him Lord. You know, it's to earn the favor of my Lord. And Esau says, keep your gifts. I have enough. And it's like, man, you know, Jacob's ripped you off. He got double your, uh, he's going to have double your, your money. But who's wealthy here? Jacob's guy's facing the dirt. And he's trying to curry favor and wants to use money to influence people, make people like him, you know. And then here's Esau. And Esau just with those simple words, I have enough. And those words, that's what makes you wealthy. It's not a number. It's a mindset. It's when you look at what you have. I was listening to, to an interview this week that was so cool. It was this guy who was a multimillionaire, and he's the host. And he was um, interviewing another guy who's got a, a, an online business. And uh, he was talking to him, you know, about, you know, how hard it is to take vacations. And, you know, this is the millionaire guy. And how that, you know, even on vacation, his mind is still, you know, about work and, and the next thing he can do. And so um, the other guy said, I take three months vacation a year. And he said, well, you know, how, how do you do that? Because I work three months. He said, I just think of a year as having nine months, not 12. And so I work in nine months and I make the money that I need to live. And every three months I put someone in charge of, you know, my staff's in charge of my email and they just deal with things for me. And I take away a month. And so I, I work three hard months. I take one month off. And uh, he said, Oh, like digital nomad. He said, no, he said, I mean, I'm not working. I, my mind is free. I'm not, I don't, I don't even, you know, like have a laptop with me. I'm just there freeing myself and living my life. And, and so he talked, talked about, uh, you know, well, maybe, you know, there's a certain amount of money. And the guy said, well, actually, we just decided we're going to live on a third of the money that we make. And he said, we make, you know, over $100,000 a year, but about 150. And then we have a big business. But he said, that's, that's all. How much do you need? You know, how big a business do you really have to grow? And it was like two worldviews totally at odds with each other. You know, one's about living a life. He said, we give away a third of our money. We invest a third of our money and we live on a third of our money. And, uh, he's just a guy that's thinking differently. He's thinking like a wealthy person. Uh, that mindset is wealth. And part of that mindset is given by God. I mean, it's like a gift to his children. So we, we don't have to fret and be like the people of this world. We can see ourselves as wealthy and here are people that have no reason to see themselves as wealthy. Paul said, you know, the, the human reality was they're tokos poor. And yet they're not only in their mind wealthier than others, but they have a lifestyle that shows it. Not the lifestyle of wasting money, not the lifestyle of showing off their bling bling. The lifestyle of giving to others. They see themselves as a source. And in my life, God has brought me so many examples of people who I saw this gift in. One was a friend named Terry. And uh, I didn't know him that well in the beginning. We became lifetime friends. But, you know, I am a reader and I, I love knowledge. I love books. And I'm, uh, you know, I've been to college for many, many years. And, and so building a library, you know, it's a pretty big deal. And so I've, you know, I have my books and they were like treasures to me. And I was in his office and he says, he pulls this book off the shelf and he goes, have you read this? This is really an awesome book. And I said, no, I haven't read it yet. He said, here, take it. And just that he gave me a book, like straight off of the shelf. I might would order a book for somebody, but to hand them the book I marked in, 
you know, wow, that's a big step. And I took that and I thought about it. A few years later, you know, God spoke to me. I was with a young man who was uh, in his early days of ministry. And the Lord spoke to me and, and he said, give him your Bible wall. I've had this Bible for like 10 or 15 years. It's underlined. I've written my notes everywhere in it. He said, give him your Bible. Man, that was hard to do. I, mean, I could have bought him 10 Bibles for the, the act of giving him that one. And I said, well, I guess the important thing is if I'm walking in the Word and if God still has you know revelation for me and I handed him that Bible, and I've, I've done that more than once now through the years, as you know, like the giving of another person can stimulate you to think like they think, and you become like that. Uh, one of our kids, Jessica, we had a Christmas, and she got you know a lot of lot of gifts, and they were a lot of them were well thought out, you know, just for her. And so Jessica opens all these gifts, and she puts them in a pile, and right away she knows what she wants to do. She wants us to take her uh, to this poorer part of town, and she wants to give everybody all her Christmas gifts. And uh, it's one of my uh, pr- my many parental failure stories because on the one hand, I kind of wanted to let her do it. On the other hand, you know, some of these gifts are from relatives and you wonder how they'll take it. Although now that I'm a grown up, uh, I realize they probably would have been so blessed that she did that and would never have thought about that she did that. So we let her give some of the things away, but we didn't let her give everything away. But you know, that, that heart to want to be a giver. Uh, another example that sticks out to me is a friend of mine that she's beautiful young lady in her twenties and she gets to know this, this uh, man and they start getting close and he needs a kidney transplant and someone uh, donates a kidney for him and his life is extended and she was so grateful that she signed up and just gave randomly, just gave her kidney away to somebody. I mean, that's, that's what kind of gift is that? Out of gratitude that someone did it for her husband, or who became her husband. He was just her boyfriend then. But out of gratitude that someone would give that gift to him, that she would give her kidney away to somebody else. And it just, you know, God puts these people in your way. And for Paul, it's the Macedonians. They're like some of the poorest people he's ever met. And yet this thing is all in them. And it's a sign, Paul says, that the grace of God is at work in you because it's not a normal human way of being. In verses 3 and 4, he describes what happened when he went to Macedonia. He said, he, you know, he told them about what was going on in, in Jerusalem, that the earliest Christians were now under great pressure. They were in famine and they were, they were hungry. And the, he said, first, they initiated the idea. You know, so these poor, the poorer people, they're just as poor as the people he's talking about, except in their mind. And they initiated the idea that they should all give aid to the Christian famine victims in Jerusalem. And then Paul said, secondly, they gave to the limitation of their human ability. Like as much as they possibly could put their hands on, they brought to give to their brothers. But then, Paul says, they broke through that ability and they gave beyond what they could do 
as humans. This is a whole nother thing. And I, I wish my time wasn't running because I could stay here for half an hour. I can remember uh, we had like really hard years for the first couple of years of marriage, uh, serving as youth pastor in Pennsylvania, and then moved to Jamaica as missionaries and had very, very, very little funding, like $300 a month. And it was it was hard, man. We were watching the mailbox every day. We, I remember um, keeping a can of root beer for six months. You know, somebody came down to visit, brought root beer, and we kept a can of root beer for six months waiting on a, a birthday. And then when we were going to open it, we felt guilty for drinking it by ourselves, so we found two more friends who were in the same kind of hardship, and we had one can of root beer between all of us. You know, So it's that kind of lifestyle. We didn't have a phone. But after we left that ministry, so we're, you know, we've, we're living at that level, and my home church in Atlanta was building a new building. You know, they needed a whole new home. And they were doing a fund drive. And I prayed about what we should give, and the number $1,000 came in my mind. And really, it might as well have been $100,000. It was huge but I was so excited that we were going to get to be that giver, you know, a real giver, not a little giver, but like give a real gift. And we gave that and it, you know, God helped us to give it and it, it did something in us. And so now let's fast forward and we go to the Philippines and we we planted a church there and that church needs a building and uh, I, I asked the church people to make pledges. I said, this is what I want you to do. I just want you to pray and ask God for a number. You don't have to have this number. Just ask him for a number, and whatever he says, that's what you write down. And then you do everything you can toward meeting that number, and he'll do the rest. And you're not responsible for the, the rest. That's God's part. So I prayed about it, and the number that came in my mind was $10,000. And I was blown away. I was so scared to even say it, but I was also really excited. And so uh, Sherry and I pledged that, and we emptied out all the money we could get our hands on, and we cut back for the, the whole next uh, 12 months. And we knew where we were cutting back, and, that, and we were able to get $4,000 that way. And so we gave the four, and now I didn't have any way to get the six. And uh, that's where it got really exciting. You know, Paul says you, you give to the limitation of your human ability. And then because you want to go bigger, it takes God. You know, the supernatural element has to kick in. And at this point, it didn't take but a few weeks. I got a notification from a church in the States, and they said, uh, someone in our church has just sent you like $400. And I said, oh, that's great. So we put that on our pledge. And then a few weeks later, they wrote again and said, now he sent you $600. And we put that on the pledge. And then a few weeks later, they said, now he sent you $1,000. I didn't know him. And I said, can you give me a phone number for this person? So I called him uh, and I said, who, who are you? You know, how did we meet? And he said, oh, I met you in a gymnasium. We were at a church event. And uh, I said, thank you so much for what you're giving. And your, your, your money's going to help help us build a building over here that we need for our church. And he said, well, actually, I'm in financial trouble myself, like almost bankruptcy. And uh, there's this other guy, and he's a handyman, and he's hard up. And so I said to him, I tell you what, I'll look for jobs for you to do handyman work 
but it'll be like my company. And so I'll pay you your wage, and then I'm going to add a company uh, expense on it, and I'll make a little money. And he said, and as I was praying about that, I started getting jobs, and the Lord said, you have to give a certain amount of this money to that missionary that you met. You know, so there's just all this. I ended up with a lifetime friend. We have been so close with, with that brother and been with him in his life, and he got he got married, and we've been part of all of it. You know, the supernatural element you encounter when you get free from money and you just walk with God in the material world and you do it with liberty. You know, so this church initiated the idea. They gave to their limitation, pushed through. Then they had, Paul says, an emotional desire. They had an emotional desire. He said, they pleaded with me to participate as a full partner. And in doing that, they enter the fellowship and they become equals through giving. This is really an important point, too. Uh, I, you know, I'm the white Western missionary and for most of my life, uh, actually since I was 24, that's what I've been. And so I went to, you know, most places that I go, I end up almost every place. Uh, I pay for the bills. I pay for the meetings. I pay for, you know, I'm there to bless. I went to Nepal to visit a former student and, um, he was really excited that I was coming, you know, and so we, we arranged to meet. And then he said, okay, we're going to go eat in this restaurant. So we went to eat in this restaurant, and uh, uh, we had a great meal and really sweet time to talk. And then I got up to uh, go to the bathroom, and it's usually my trick, and then I went to pay the bill. And um, when he, he saw what I was doing, he jumped up from the table, and he said, wait, come sit back down. And I said, what? He goes, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? And I said, I'm, I'm just wanting to bless. And he says, I have been saving money. Ever since I knew you were coming here, I've been saving money so I could be the host. And I can, that's why I picked this restaurant, because I could afford this restaurant and this meal. And I wanted to do my very best for you. And, and it was a reprimand. And it was a reprimand in the Lord, too, that he, he understands it. You know, he's my little brother. Until he pays. When he pays, we're equals. You know, he's treating me to a meal. And that was important even for our relationship. And so, I, you know, it's a whole nother idea about giving, what giving does to a person, how it brings them equality with others when you are generous and you are liberal and you are the one who is the source. It changes who you are. Everywhere, this is a really important point. Everywhere in Paul's writings, this impulse to offer yourself to be of service to someone else, the impulse to empty your possessions and invest them in someone else's life, that impulse is always credited to God. Paul always gives God the credit for grace working in your heart. We can't take credit even for our own generosity because grace is the motivator for that generosity. And churches like that and people like that, they are led by amazingly free men and women because a mindset shift is what has to happen. You've got to shift your thinking from being a needy person to being a wealthy person, 
to being a source for other people. And if you do that, if you can change the way you see the world and stop seeing it as a place of lack and see God as a place of endless supply, it will transform you in your life. It's going to make you noble, first of all, because it will lift your heart to a higher place than most people's default state about this world. You will be on, you'll be higher in many ways. Your mind will go to a higher place. Uh, secondly, what I just said, it will change your status with other people. In our very first year of ministry, we were in so much trouble financially. And somebody asked me how we were doing. And I said, oh, you know, not real, not real well. Our finances are so tight. And I guess I thought they'd take pity on me or something. But, man, God rebuked. Nothing happened. And God rebuked me. He said, don't ever talk poor. All they'll do is disrespect you. They won't listen to what you have to say in the Lord because they just see you as poor and needy. It, it'll pervert what you're doing. No, don't ever do that. And I never did again. You just say you're blessed and you're blessed. Uh, the third thing that this mind change will do is it will release confidence in you. It will change your mindset on life because you'll, you'll start to see things from God's point of view, which is a whole lot more accurate. So, you know, Paul has brought these people up to the Corinthians and he's saying to them, in essence, you know, you guys are so rich and they are so poor financially, but they're so far beyond you in their minds. You're poor compared to them. They are truly wealthy. In verse seven, he talks about the Corinthians and we can see them. You know, we can see Corinth in our world today. Like the Corinthians, many people want to excel in faith. You know, want to be a faith person or they want to excel and become powerful in their speech, in their communication ability. You know, I want to be good in the spotlight. I want to be good when I'm in front of people. They want to be more knowledgeable, Paul says. They want to keep growing in their knowledge. You know, I want to get a better education and I'm, I'm excelling at that. I am focused on it. They might even want to work harder than ever before. They might even want to support and be devoted to their spiritual leaders. But money is in a different silo of their heart. Smallness of heart. There is nothing more horrible to find to me in a ministering person because it's not about money. It's about smallness of everything. You know, they're so opinionated. They, they're small on grace for people. They're small with forgiveness. You know, if you're small, you're small. And that you are the leader of others and you're a small-hearted person. So thank God there's a cure for smallness of heart. And it is on intentionally focusing to be a giver. And so, you know, Paul's looking at the Corinthian church and he says, I just see, you know, if I can read between the lines, I see smallness of heart and mind crippling Corinth. So he tells him, you know, in verse 7, uh, in verse 6, he says, I've sent Titus, so the same thing that happened for the Macedonians can happen for you. Titus is going to work with you on bigness of heart, this one thing that the Macedonians have. He's going to work with you on that. And verse 7, so you want all that other stuff that I just mentioned uh, that the world is after too. Paul says, that's great. Get all that. But see that you abound in this grace Two, you know, you need bigness of heart. Paul wants what happened to Barnabas. 
who looked at his own possessions and sold them, gave 100% of the money to the apostles and said, feed the poor. And then he watched it happen to the Macedonians. And now Paul really wants it to happen to the Corinthians as well. Well, this is such an important lesson for all of us because if you're going to be in a uh, service role, uh, ministry is typically not a super high-paying position. And uh, you're going to have to learn to budget well and and still enjoy, you know, enjoy life. Uh, learn learn the wonder, you know, of a camp out and cooking out your food and uh, celebrating in little ways, uh, all these different things that you can do. But, you know, you can't allow cheapness and miserliness and selfishness, stinginess, tightness, ungenerosity to come into you. You've got to be able to fight that thing free and not let your mind become closed and limited. But you've got to have this big open mind and you can't just get it. You got to let this grace gift work and then begin to give and give and give. So what I'm going to do at the end of this lesson is I'm going to take a sober assessment of where I am as a giver. You know, I want to give more and I'm going to look around at my stuff that's piling up in my house and I'm going to give some stuff away and get some space in here. And I'm going to make a giving plan because I, you know, I want to be a giver and I want this mindset in my mind, you know, God has given to me and he's stuck that inside my my heart. And I want to live like that. Uh, you know, somebody when uh, Sherry and I were just getting started in the ministry, someone challenged us in addition to tithing to start giving five percent above the tithe. And uh, he said to give it to mission. So, you know, we we made our plan and we weren't even married yet. And we already started you know, to think. And I'm so grateful for that. That guy and for that teaching, I don't even remember who he was, but what it did was it created a pool of money and, you know, we worked to increase that amount as the the percentage as the years, I believe in percentage giving um, through the years. And what it has done is it's left us with this pool that even though we personally might not have, you know, much cash because we're putting that money aside uh, it's for giving away. That's the purpose of that money. So then we end up in situations sometimes where we might can do something for other people that we couldn't even do for ourselves because that fund is there. Uh, but I, we've just been so grateful to be able to do that. But I, you know, I want to be a giver. I want to live like that. So let the giving heart of God do its work inside of you. Let's set some goals and uh, improve ourselves as a giver. Uh, Do me a favor, please. Uh, Click the link in our short survey in the show notes and take that survey and let me know what's going on in your life and how I can be a better service to you. And we will develop some resources that can hopefully bring bring you training and encouragement that you need. My friend, this week, expect God to use you. See you next time.